0: Increasingly, you know, the data and the success of, you know, a number of not only ours, but other, so many investments being made into communities all across the country will show that, you know, brilliant entrepreneurs can build game-changing businesses literally anywhere in the country. From Kansas City to Birmingham to Tampa to Denver, Salt Lake City, Ann Arbor, Northwest Arkansas, Chattanooga, like the list literally goes on and on.
1: Howdy everybody and welcome back. This is Thinking Is Cool, the show where I, Kinsey Grant, journalist, shitposter, and a real girl in her 20s, explore the topics that will undoubtedly come to define this generation. So far, we've talked about porn, far stool, and climate change. Next up, I'm going to use the words migration pattern and dunk on the VCs of Miami get ready to get deep into the cities of the future and how the ways we move show us more about ourselves than we might expect. We're about to jump in, but before we do that, number one, huge shout out as always to our launch sponsor, HM Bradley. More to come soon. Watch this space. And number two,
2: share this podcast, share this podcast, share this podcast. Oh,
1: (laughs) what was that? It It was weird. Um, as always, Nothing is off limits. Everything is on the table. Take it anywhere. And remember, thinking is cool, and so are you.
3: It's gonna be the biggest boom town in the American scene in uh, fifty years. Yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Mega boom. Comedy clubs are moving here like crazy. They're <laughs> yeah.
1: moving here left and right. Do you know what city those two men were talking about in that clip? Do you know who those two men were? Do you know where the next boomtown might really be? Chances are you've considered it over the last year. Either that or some evangelist has tried to sell you on the merits of insert any place but New York City or San Francisco here. It's been a period of significant, impactful migration across this country, perhaps making for one of the biggest post-pandemic shifts we've seen to date and one that appears to be sticking around even as we unmask. Usually, I wouldn't care much for geographic trend spotting. But in the case of what we've seen this last year, what with remote work being done from sea to shining sea, I'm absolutely certain that our newfound digitally nomadic tendencies are creating deep marks in our social and cultural history, and that deserves a closer look. Now that tons of new jobs in our very much services-based economy can be done from anywhere, what does the future hold? By the way, that clip from before was from the Joe Rogan experience on Spotify. The more elegant voice was Joe's guest, Elon Musk. They were talking about Austin, Texas, but in all honesty, it could have been anywhere. Austin, Miami, Tulsa, Sacramento. It seems today that any city willing to grab enough attention can earn billing as America's next big boomtown. All it takes is a gregarious mayor, a forgiving tax code, or, in the case of Tulsa, the offer of a $10,000 grant for eligible remote workers who commit to living in the city for a year. With many of us now either freed from the shackles of traditional office work or simply past the point of caring, this country is in the midst of a great migration. But are you willing to move to Tulsa for $10,000? Better yet, could you even do it if you wanted to? In understanding the ways certain classes of people in this country have moved over the last year, we've come to see a lot more than a busy future for the Census Bureau. We've come to see that choosing a place to live is also about labor inequality, local governments, housing prices, cultural vibrancy, economic opportunity, and the ways our choices impact all of those things. That's what we're thinking about today. Because where you live impacts a lot more than the letters next to the red pinpoint emoji in your Instagram bio. That's for a lot of reasons, but one of the most important hinges on the concept of economic agglomeration. Imagine me now wearing an argyle cardigan, horn-rimmed glasses, and my hair held into a bun with a number two pencil, because I am now your economics professor. Economic agglomeration centers around the idea that when companies and the economic activity they create are physically clustered close together, businesses can grow more easily. It's like economies of scale and network effects, but for places. There are often major cost savings associated with agglomeration. Think about the ways the cost of production might shrink when, say, suppliers or labor for a specific industry are physically clustered. It's part of why cities become hubs for certain industries. Finance, automotive production, tech, you name it. Someone with influence decided to put down roots, and the rest of their industry came a in. Here's one great example. Hollywood. Producers, directors, stage managers, and their physical workspaces are all close to one another, making it easy to move from project to project without having to tear down structures or move cities. Historically, agglomeration has been an integral part of how cities increase in size and in population. But the more I think about agglomeration in the year of our Lord 2021, the more I wonder, what comes next now that we've proven the economy won't fall apart if some of us work from bed? How might that change the way we cluster? I'm sure you've wondered the same because lately remote work has made it feel like we're clustering not based on what we do to contribute to the economy, but instead on whatever vibe we feel we're most missing in our lives. I could write and record this script from literally anywhere, but I choose to do it in arguably one of the world's most expensive cities because I like the way this city makes me feel. My audio engineer, Anthony, is in Nashville My co-founder and sometimes editor Josh is in New York, but he spent most of the early thinking is cool days in Miami. All of you, my audience, are as far flung as could be. Now that we're used to business happening remotely, we're theoretically able to do business wherever the hell we want. And yet, I just signed a year-long lease in New York City where I'm a solid seven. I could have moved to San Francisco and been a real nine, or Miami and been about a four. Or home to Tallahassee, Florida, where there are no metrics for measuring hotness because everybody is already married with kids. Six months ago, I was within days of permanently relocating to Miami Beach. I didn't consider moving to Miami because the city really had all that much to offer me, but instead because everyone was doing it. That says a lot about me, but it also says a lot about all of you because I'm not alone. For so many, this last year seriously changed the ways we decide to put down roots. Our perception of making a life has been unalterably changed by the pandemic. There are no rules anymore now that we can do anything anywhere. And that inevitably impacts cities well beyond those we call home. That's a reality made all the more dramatic when you consider who is doing the moving. Americans who work labor-intensive jobs typically aren't handed the opportunity to move to wherever they want. Their job requires them to be there and in person. Think about two people. One is a software engineer who's worked in the Bay Area for the last seven or so years, recently moved to Austin, Texas. The other is a janitor who's worked in the Bay Area for, let's say double that, 14 years, and has no choice but to stay because janitorial work can't be done remotely. The engineer makes more money than the janitor. The engineer takes that money to Austin, where they now live and pay taxes. That money has a ripple effect. Where high-income talent goes, money goes. And that changes the patterns of the economy and our culture, perhaps irrevocably. That's why we're having this conversation. That's why this matters. Most of us care, in some way, about the communities we call home. It's perfectly fine to choose a new one if you can, but we have to ensure that those decisions are made consciously, that we focus on what matters. Now, as far as I can tell, there are a handful of cities currently vying for that designation as the center of economic gravity here in the US, New York, San Francisco, Austin, and Miami. I know LA and Chicago matter, but people are always moving in and out of LA and Chicago is Chicago. So we have our four cities, New York, San Francisco, Austin, and Miami. Each of the four has something, but none have it all. There's proximity, livability, culture, hype. There's income taxes and school districts and good food. There's something for everyone, but never everything for anyone. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through each of these big four cities, New York, Miami, San Francisco, and Austin, and work to better understand what makes each of them a hub in our modern, more distributed economy. We're going to hear from people who have made these cities home. And in doing so, we're going to get a better idea of what makes a city worth living in. Because we're becoming an increasingly urban global population, 56% of us lived in cities last year and 68% of us are expected to come 2050. Better get to figuring out where to invest in real estate now, right? I wrote this in a recent blog. Yes, I know how much my rent could get me in another city, but there's no city like New York. Choosing where to live is something that involves a plethora of intangibles. You can't stack and measure vibes, energy, or the way you feel walking down the street. There are things about New York we can't put into words, but that doesn't make them any less meaningful. I know I sound like goddamn Carrie Bradshaw, and for that, I really am sorry, but it's true. And that's why our tour of the next great American cities starts with the original great American city, New York
2: Stand clear of the closing doors, please.
1: Let's get it over with now. The cost of living in New York is astronomical. It's the most expensive city in the u s. And the average rent for an apartment in Manhattan is almost three times the national average. But they don't have Joe's Pizza anywhere else. So who's really winning? That said, people who live in New York do tend to bring home higher incomes on average than the rest of the country, and the rent clearly hasn't been all that prohibitive for them or the roughly 220,000 businesses that call this city home. Which by the way, are more than just bodegas and bulge bracket banks. Tech has increasingly invested in New York. For example, Facebook recently leased enough new office space in Manhattan to roughly triple its local New York City workforce. Apple also just expanded in New York, and Google and Amazon are putting together corporate campuses in the city like it's going out of style. I mean, Google basically owns all of Chelsea Market at this point. Tech isn't everything though. If LA is for hot people, San Francisco is for smart people, and Austin is for granola people, New York is for rich people. And they come from every industry. New York has money and a history of it. Now, despite the fact that for every billionaire CEO, there are a dozen bright-eyed 20-somethings fresh off the plane at LaGuardia ready to make the city their own on $50,000 a year, New York has an income inequality problem. In Manhattan, the average income for the top 1% was 113 times that of the bottom 99% a few years back, 113 times. And the pandemic, has only exacerbated the problem. It's a city known for money, but nearly one in every 106 New Yorkers is homeless. In a city of more than 8 million, some 80,000 people are without a home at any given moment. You can see income inequality walking down the street every single day, casting a shadow over everything and everyone. It's one of a few important shortcomings this city I love so much lays claim to. There's also visible inefficiencies, unreliable infrastructure, at times untenable housing prices, pigeons, an overactive citizen app, and people who lie about being from Staten Island. Living in New York isn't easy. That's why a lot of people have left. Earlier this year, it was estimated that about 19,000 Manhattanites recently moved to Florida, but 9,000 of them said their moves were temporary. It's because despite her problems, New York keeps you coming back for more. If you wanna be here, you will do anything it takes to make it work. No one is here by accident, and that makes this city special in a way I can't describe. One of you described it, though. This is from one of my readers, Musa, who put it this way, quote, It's dripping with outsized ambition everywhere you look. The intensity with which people pursue better jobs, more money, hotter partners, bigger apartments, the nicest clothes, the best art, food, etc. It's not only that they want these things, it's the effort and hustle they put into attaining them. It's inspirational, and it's infectious end quote. I'm welling up recording this, and it's not just because my period tracker app told me I'd be emotional this week. It's because New York becomes part of you, and the last year has shown how big that part is for so many of us. The pandemic brought this city to her knees, and it will absolutely be a different place for the new New Yorkers who move here this summer, But stories about a city on the brink are patently false. We lost some good businesses and some great people and a year of shared experiences. But every story you read of New York being dead, they're usually reported with only a couple anecdotal stories from people who probably didn't want to be here in the first place. New York isn't dead. It's anything but. If you ask me, it will always and forever be New York or nowhere. Well, maybe not according to Twitter. After this quick break to hear from our friends at HM Bradley, we are talking about the city we all love to love as much as we love to hate, Miami. Imagine if your hinge profile was only full of men wearing <laughs> flip, flip-flops, just a never-ending sea of sameness and sweaty feet. It's my literal hell. But that's what the world of banking is kind of like today a whole lot of the same and very little that's actually suited to you. Not with HM Bradley, our exclusive launch sponsor. Their savings tiers are automatically adjusted based on your saving behavior, making swiping right a no-brainer. HM Bradley makes it super easy to know how much you're saving and their savings tiers reward you based on your savings habits every three months. So if you saved a ton last winter, you'd be earning a lot more right now. And if you're saving a lot right now, let's just say the summer will be pretty hot. Remember last week when we talked about annual percentage yields? Savings tiers make those rates possible. The more deposits you save, the higher APY you can earn, up to 3% APY to be exact. If you use my link to sign up for an HM Bradley deposit account, you'll automatically get HM Bradley's highest rate as soon as your first direct deposit arrives. Again, that's 3% APY on deposits of up to $100,000 for up to three months. Keep listening for that link and go sign up. It's as simple as that. All you have to do is connect your direct deposit and start making your money work for you. With HM Bradley, I'm on the way to a smarter, savvier, savior, savior award, a savior summer. Sign up for your HM Bradley account with my link at hmb.to slash thinking is cool and get rewarded for the smart decisions you make. You've earned it. Banking services are provided by Hatch Bank, an FDIC member, meaning your deposit account is insured up to $250,000 per depositor. Check the show notes for more information. Thank you, as always, HM Bradley. So I tweeted this on January 18th at 1022 p.m. Quote. Love quoting my own Twitter. As I found myself ferociously searching for a Miami Airbnb for the entire month of February, I couldn't help but wonder, is Twitter making all of my decisions for me? The answer was yes, at least on January 18th at 10.22 p.m. Within a month, I was in Miami, staying at Josh's mom's apartment, and seriously considering moving there. Guess that's what happens when you leave New York during the worst snowstorm of the winter to land at a balmy 75 degrees in South Florida. I felt a sincere, creeping sense of FOMO about Miami for most of the last winter. I read the Think Boy pieces about everyone moving there. I saw the founders and tech entrepreneurs and hot people booking indefinite stays in Miami and I thought, I gotta go, that's where the action is. Like they usually are, Tom Brady and Giselle Bundchen were on the same page. They bought a $17 million property in Miami Beach. Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump reportedly spent $30 million on a lot nearby. And it seemed every tech, marketing, or finance guy I knew was signing a six-month lease in Brickell. Corporations have bought in too. Seemingly in one fell swoop, Miami was in every business news headline. Elliott Management announced plans to move its headquarters to South Florida, Blackstone announced plans to open an office there, and Goldman reportedly mulled relocating part of its asset management operations there as well. Famously, high-impact VCs like Keith Rabois hauled ass from San Francisco to Miami. There were reports earlier this year that more than 200 venture capitalists from Silicon Valley and New York recently moved to Miami. So what drew them in? Well, you know what they say about Florida, it's God's waiting room. I mean. It's a great state to retire rich in. Let's talk taxes, because aside from a mayor we'll talk about in a minute, this is arguably Miami's biggest draw for ex-New Yorkers and former San Franciscans. In California, state income taxes and state capital gains taxes are the highest in the country at 13.3%. In New York, capital gains taxes are 8.95% and just one part of a tax-heavy pie for city dwellers. In Florida and in Texas, state capital gains taxes are 0%. If you're rich and getting richer, as the rich tend to do, that makes the humid heat worth it. Miami also has hype, which counts for something. Here's Maya Bakai, a new friend who works at 35 Ventures and recently moved to Miami after years in New York.
2: I saw the tech rumblings. I mean, I was bunkered down in my house until... January of this of 2021, I told I didn't participate in all the Miami craziness. I saw it go down on Twitter. I work in tech, so I was rolling my eyes. I'm like, let's see if these people actually stay. And then in January, I was like, you know what? Let me see what this is all about. So I like got out of my cave, went went out into the city of Miami, and I was so present, pleasantly surprised. I think what really drew me to it was the new people that have you know all come together it really feels like college freshman week
1: maya continued i just think you know when you
2: break down what makes what makes someone move on a decision right like even even last year with all the all the new people that started investing, right? It's like, they saw the hype. They saw, oh my God, what is Dogecoin? And I had random friends of mine who are artists saying like, hey, should I open up a Robin Hood and jump into Dogecoin? So it's like, you need the hype to drive action. And so in Miami's case, the hype was built by all these tech personalities. Um, the action was taken because people had really no other city that was as open as Miami. So the timing came into play. And then... Once the habit forms, so once people get it in their mind that, okay, Miami is a city that is fun. Before Florida was associated with an eye roll, you know, like now Florida is associated with like fun, party, like excitement, energy.
1: That FOMO I was talking about before has the power to sway people, myself almost included. That's in no small part because of Mayor Francis Suarez, marketing genius and guy who should trademark the words, how can I help? He's offered assistance, sincere or not, to just about everyone with a blue check mark who's tweeted about Miami in the last year. Mayor Suarez became a character more than a public official. He went toe to toe with the best of the internet, staging a crusade for his home city as the next tech center of the United States. And he pulled in high octane talent in doing so. The city hired a chief technology officer. I mean, how many cities have a CTO or a venture capitalist in residence? Miami has both. But from where I sit in my apartment on a cloudy New York day, the hype does give me a little pause. I feel like everyone in Miami realized that 98 degrees and 70% humidity from April through October actually isn't that great. And now they're just trying to convince themselves that this was the right move by gloating about their new city online. I'm just putting it out there. And trust me. I have lived more years of my life in Florida than in any other state. The Florida man will come for all of you at some point or another. And if all you have to protect you is a brigade of tech workers in unseasonable hoodies, things don't look good. But it's true. Miami does have that hype. It became part of the migration conversation across the country this year for its appeal to the entrepreneur class. Rich people moving to be with other rich people just on the opposite side of the country it's a fun city to winter in, but I've got my doubts as to whether that hype can last long-term. And long-term is what it takes when you're vying for the title of America's next hub city. Long-term commitment and deep roots are what make a city great, right?
3: And obviously, like, it's it's active on Twitter. I would say that there's a small pocket of people who are very loud and, like, they built their own, you know, sort of boys club or whatever exclusive club in Miami now. Like, I think they just took that mentality and moved it to Miami. <laughs> I don't think that they're, like immersing themselves in the local startup community in Miami and like I could be wrong but that's what I hear from friends who are down there who have been there for a long time.
1: That was Alex Cohen, entrepreneur, investor, and director of product at Carbon Health. Alex has lived in New York, South Florida, and now San Francisco and I'll let him dunk on Miami one more time before we talk about his current hometown. Growing up
3: in Florida like I actually met a lot of the people in the Miami tech community at the time it was it was small and like a lot of those folks are still there. And it feels like, from what I hear, it feels like two different tech communities in Miami right now. It's just that the Bay Area people who were, like, set up with, I guess, not feeling appreciated enough by the city. Uh, and, like, now that I guess the mayor responds to them and grabs coffee, like, they're happy down there.
1: As far as I can tell, San Francisco and the Bay Area are the focal point of any story about any tech exodus these days. If we we're to believe the headlines, talent is leaving San Francisco in droves. How could a city be the center of gravity for the world's most important industry one year and a ghost town the next? It seems to have a lot to do with local government and its chronic inaction.
3: But asphaltics is like really broken. I think, you know, well, I think actually beyond that, the biggest thing that dri- that's driving people out is just like the crime. It is pretty bad in SF. Like you can't really park your car without it getting broken, and if you leave something out, and I think. Um, you know, there's there's like, California is notoriously bad for homeless population and, and sort of like the feeling that the city or the state's just not doing enough to fix it. And I think that was kind of the, that was a big driver versus like, I think people can get over the high taxes and can get over like, you know, anti-progressive policies.
1: It's San Francisco's biggest shortcoming from what my interviews have shown me. The city can't seem to keep up with the breakneck pace at which the companies that made it famous are evolving move fast and break things, doesn't work quite as well at City Hall. But despite that, certainly one of its biggest downfalls, San Francisco isn't a city teetering on the brink of collapse. Here's Alex again.
3: And I think the thing that like gets lost in the narrative of people moving out is the majority of folks that are here that have been successful in tech and like that are reinvesting into the community as angel investors, they go on to be execs at like other companies or whatever, like they bought homes here and their kids go to school here and, and they're not, they can't just like pick up and move. And, and I would say the majority are not. Um, and so they're all still here.
1: Alex's perspective is anecdotal and fair, but for good measure, the numbers are worth consideration. San Francisco and nearby San Jose are some of the country's priciest housing markets. And permanent moves in those places far outpaced national averages recently. We're talking some 20% permanent move rates compared to 3% nationally. That doesn't seem like a one-off thing. Seems to me like a broader trend indicative of the ways the Bay Area is evolving in a post-COVID remote-enabled tech world. Perhaps the rank and file have fled to greener pastures with less auto theft. But has everyone? Not so clear. At least, not yet. And many of them might be participating in a little good old-fashioned urban sprawl. Because if you want to make the right connections, hire the right talent, and buy the right virtual reality startup, San Francisco is the place to do it. The city has proximity, and specifically proximity to smart people. It's agglomeration, like we talked about earlier, in action. It's also what created the companies we now revere. What would Apple, Google, Facebook be without the Bay Area? What would the scene in the social network be like when Eduardo comes to San Francisco for the one million members party without San Francisco? We'd have no Sand Hill Road, no VC bro jokes, no Silicon Valley on HBO. San Francisco and the Bay Area have contributed endlessly to the formation of our modern economy. And it's a pity that some of the loudest in the room are leaving because Miami is a little warmer and the mayor tweets a little more. Here's how the San Francisco Chronicle, my new favorite petty newspaper, put it. Quote, there are plenty of ways to leave a party. You can quietly say your thanks and goodbyes and be on your way. You can stay a while to help clean up, or you can be a real jerk about it by stomping off and complaining that it was a terrible party anyway, even though you drank more than your share of cocktails, scarfed down the fancy food, and manspread on the couch. End quote. Is that what the Keith Raboys and Elon Musks of the world will do with Miami and Austin when they've sucked those cities dry? Suppose we have no choice but to find out. The drama is playing out as we speak in Austin, Texas, a city that even those of us who've never been know to be distinctly weird. It's in the city's DNA to keep Austin weird. But can it do so with an influx of coastal elites hoping for a better work-life balance and more lake days? In an attempt to figure that out, I called Jim DeChico. He's the co-founder and CEO of Super Coffee, a bottled coffee brand that's recently taken off all over this country. Now, Jim lived in New York for four years before moving to Austin last fall, and he quoted Matthew McConaughey in our interview, so you know he's a real Austin local now. Jim told me that Austin feels like New York and that anyone who's been there for six months feels like a local. Perhaps it's that Southern hospitality, or perhaps it's the steady stream of new talent flowing into Austin that's making it hard to feel like the new kid for long. Here's Jim on why he moved.
3: Austin is a place that I'd only been once before, um, and it was attractive for a lot of reasons. You know, I'm, I'm big into outdoor activities, big into fitness, and, and Austin checks both of those boxes. Texas has like a big outdoor scene, which is is r- like something I wanted to explore. Um, and then I think the the biggest driver for me to to Austin was uh, the like the bustling entrepreneurial scene. People are saying like, Austin's becoming the next Silicon Valley, but I think, I think that's right, except it's not just tech. You know, They have a great food and beverage startup scene down here, uh, great real estate scene, like there's a lot of cool marketing agencies. There's not many financial institutions, which I think that's what I wasn't liking about New York was like that Wall Street hustle.
1: Austin has livability, it has lifestyle, it has things to do that aren't work or sit on questionably green grass in a park and leave with a weird rash. It also has the stamp of approval from one of the first voices you heard in this episode, notorious California hater Elon Musk. Musk recently traded LA for Austin to build a $1 billion Cybertruck factory. There's also Larry Ellison, who said he's moving his Oracle headquarters to Austin from Silicon Valley. And there's Dropbox's CEO, Drew Houston, who apparently is doing the same thing. And there are the countless young people following their leads. I have no fewer than three friends who have made the permanent move to Austin this year. I see their Instagram stories on Lake Travis every weekend, and I feel a twinge of jealousy. I see them getting dogs and houses and taking hikes, and I look around the small rectangular room that I call office, living area, kitchen, gym, and I think a little longer about getting hair extensions and moving to the Lone Star State. But then I don't, and I couldn't pull the trigger on Miami, and I never even thought about moving to San Francisco. New York is my home, and it's going to stay that way. Same for Alex in San Francisco and Jim and Austin. Here's the biggest flaw in that thinking. I, like many young people, don't see much of a world outside my own three-block radius here in Greenwich Village. New York is my center of gravity. I've committed to it body, soul, and obscene monthly rent check. My money is made and spent here. Any economic opportunity I'm capable of engendering happens in New York City. But what if we could spread that economic opportunity across the country? What if we thought outside the bounds of these big four cities I've described in this episode— Here's Anna Mason, managing partner at Revolution's Rise of the Rest Seed Fund, which invests specifically outside of Silicon Valley, New York City, and Boston.
0: I often say that um, from a venture perspective, we see opportunity first through the lens of geography, and that dictates not only our mission, but also our investment mandate. Like 75% of The dollars invested in venture capital every year for the past couple of years have gone to three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts. And we believe and we think increasingly, you know, the data and the success of, you know, a number of not only ours, but other um, so many investments being made into communities all across the country will show that, you know, brilliant entrepreneurs can build game changing businesses literally anywhere in the country from Kansas City to Birmingham to Tampa to Denver, Salt Lake City, Ann Arbor, Northwest Arkansas, Chattanooga, like the list literally goes on and on. So it's been fascinating, disconcerting, heartening, exciting, like sort of all of the emotions I think bubbled up into one to see this groundswell unfolding in the aftermath of COVID and, and you know the pandemic not start. You know not just around uh, where dollars are flowing, but where people are moving and how talent is redistributing in
1: what feels like really seismic ways. When talent and money flow everywhere instead of just to the coasts of our country, we create an economy that works better. We are on the precipice of something really great. Imagine if every city could create the innovation and opportunity that the Bay Area or that New York has. I say New York or nowhere, but that's kind of a shitty attitude. It has to be New York and everywhere. New York and everywhere, though, comes with a caveat. Where we go is core to who we are, and vice versa. In all of this, there lies one major danger. Hypocrisy. If you're a progressive who moved to Austin and you're not speaking up about your new governor's barbaric policies on women's health care, you are a hypocrite. If you move to Miami and you're not actively trying to ensure that the immigrant neighborhoods that have contributed to Miami's vast cultural diversity are taken care of just as equally as South of Fifth and Key Biscayne and Indian Creek Island, you're a hypocrite. If you took issue with San Francisco, the city that offered you world-class tech talent and access to ungodly amounts of money, and instead of using your privilege to do something about what's broken, you just move to another city to eventually leech the same way there, you're a hypocrite. If you live in New York City and you're not supporting logical post-pandemic efforts to expand affordable housing so that everyone can live happily and healthily here, you're a hypocrite. Where we live becomes part of who we are, but we should become part of that place too. In my recent blog, I asked this digital community what you think of your physical city and what it says about you, and the answers were inspiring. You said things like it shows grit determination, creativity, generosity, ingenuity, and you're right. The place you call home says a great deal about you, and you need to make sure that it's saying the right things. In my last episode about climate change, I talked quite a lot about the necessity of both talking and voting to accomplish change for the better. All politics is local, and efforts to achieve change should start at home. Failing to ensure your city is made to be more equitable, more opportunistic, more diverse— That's a huge failure, and it lies with us, not the mayor or the city council or the CTO. Moving because you're bored is like having a kid to save your marriage. It's really, really profoundly stupid. Move to find opportunity. Move to build a better life. But don't move to be where it's warmer and not do anything to make your new city truly better. Our sense of place gives us so much. We ought to give back every now and then. We have the power to do that. At the end of the day... Cities aren't going anywhere. They're in flux right now, sure, and some high-impact people are moving, and lots of headlines are being written, but there will always be room for New York, for the Bay Area, for Miami, for Austin, for every other city that wants to become one of the greats, even for Tulsa, because people are persistently on the move. We always have been. Most experts suggested only 3% of people made moves they'd call permanent over the last year or so, and even that is really just an acceleration of the movement trends that probably would have played out anyway over a few years. As aptly named urban studies theorist Richard Florida recently put it in Bloomberg, quote, "...very little actual work or production is being relocated. What's really changing are the addresses of those who own and control the capital," end quote. My hope is that the owner class recognizes their power because they have a lot of it, and that power has power. For example, some 80% of New York City's income tax revenue comes from just the 17% of its residents who earn six figures or more per year. If only 5% of the people who top 100K in annual income moved away from the city, its budget would be down almost $1 billion in tax revenue. Here's another example. David Tepper, a billionaire hedge fund manager, left New Jersey for Miami Beach in 2015. His move left a gaping hole in New Jersey's budget that some experts pegged at upwards of $100 million annually. That $100 million could be the difference between surviving and thriving for some locals. And it doesn't mean the wealthy are condemned to stay in the armpit of America for all eternity, but it does mean this. Your money, and by proxy your influence, only have meaning if you do something with them. So go do it. But I imagine most of us aren't David Tepper, at least not yet. That doesn't render us powerless. It highlights our greatest strength, creating community with like-minded people. That doesn't take a dime. All it takes is a conversation. Every morning I wake up in New York, it feels like the very first day I moved here. Despite Josh's hope that we would move to Miami for tax purposes, we're both staying here. Our sisters are both moving here. Our friends, our mentors, and our support groups are all here. And as we come out of a season of life that was so incredibly dark and so incredibly lonely, I can't wait to lean on them in person. For me, that happens in New York. For you, it could be anywhere. We have this whole wide world at our fingertips and we're all finally getting close to gathering once again. Whether your community is physical or digital in your hometown or a brand new city, my hope is that you take advantage of all it has to offer and offer the special things you have that no one else does in return. Remember, thinking is cool, and so are you. See you next time.